Hello, welcome to World War II, The Key Questions, answered by me, Lawrence Rees. I specialised in writing books and making television documentaries about World War II, the Third Reich and Stalinism for many years. And my latest book, Hitler and Stalin, The Tyrants and the Second World War, has recently been published here in the UK and in America. In this podcast, talking to my daughter Camilla, I'm going to give my answer to the key question, why did Hitler invade Stalin's Soviet Union? And I'm also going to reveal how Stalin could have lost this war if he hadn't made two crucial decisions. Okay, so today we're going to talk about Hitler's invasion of the Soviet Union and the subsequent war that ended up being the graveyard of Nazism, but could have gone very differently. To begin with, let's start with a straightforward question. Why did Hitler want to invade the Soviet Union in the first place? Well, I think we've got to distinguish long-term reasons and short-term reasons. And the long-term reasons were that right as far back as when he's writing Mein Kampf in the early 1920s, Hitler is talking about the need that Germany has to expand. And he sees the Western part of the Soviet Union as the place where Germany should expand. A central, a real central component of his ideological thinking, and thus, if you like, the ideological views that underpin Nazism, a central component was that Germany was a land, as they saw it, without space. They looked with envy at Britain, the colonies that we had, particularly India. They looked with envy at America, the gigantic landmass of America. And they felt one of Germany's fundamental problems was there's simply not enough space. They were going to try and simply expand to the east. You can think, well, that's crazy before you even begin to talk about the other reasons. That's a crazy thought right there, because there never was an idea that they would conquer the entirety of the Soviet Union. I mean, look how big it is. I mean, it stretches to Vladivostok, right in the very, very far east on a different ocean. I mean, it's not going to happen that they're going to be able to do that. But people forget is in their minds at the time, in the Nazi minds at the time, in Hitler's mind at the time, there was a precedent for actually a successful move into that part of the world, which was the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, which had happened to end the First World War with the embryo Soviet Union under Lenin, which had just come into existence following the Russian Revolution at the end of 1917. And under this treaty, because Lenin was so desperate to get out of the First World War to focus on the issues that he was facing inside the Soviet Union, which had just been, or was in the process of being born, he actually wanted out the war very, very, very quickly. And so therefore, he gave up huge amounts of land. And so the Germans knew that it was possible. This had happened in their lifetimes as a way of actually gaining territory. Now, of course, what had happened since the Brest-Litovsk Treaty was signed in the spring of 1918, what had happened later in the year when the Germans lost the war was that the Brest-Litovsk Treaty was subsequently nullified and any gains the Germans might have had were lost. But still, as I say, the memory, the memory of it was still strong. Just one question on the ideological reasons of, of wanting more land. Was it because of population density or was it literally just having more space or was it raw materials? Was was it specifically that land that they wanted or was it any land and that land was just nearby? All of the above. 
everything everything you just said they they actually were doing calculations very very uh, detailed calculations on population density and it was that those population density calculations that led them to believe that they needed if they were going to grow as a nation they needed to expand territorially plus they knew that they were short of key raw materials particularly what they were focusing on was in the Soviet Union, Ukraine was the absolute breadbasket of Central and Eastern Europe. And perhaps even more important was the oil. And the oil was, the, the problem Hitler faced was the oil was much further away. The oil was around the Caspian Sea, Baku, 2,000 miles from Berlin. If you look at the, the actual planning documents for what became known as Operation Barbarossa, which was their plan to invade, it's, un- it's actually uncertain wh- how soon they thought they were going to get to this oil. It's arguable that they were thinking they were going to get to this oil within a matter of a few months, 2,000 miles away. So already you see in the thinking this enormous sense of hubris, this enormous sense of overconfidence about what they're going to do. And the key question which I pose in the book, I've written recently about, that just recently published about this, looking at Hitler and Stalin in the Second World War, the key question they didn't face was did they have the resources they needed in order to get the resources they wanted? And as it proved, they didn't. And do you think this arrogance came from the invasion of France and how well that went? Or do you think it was just an inherent kind of Nazi arrogance that they, of course, would be able to win that war or get to the resources they needed? Once again, it's both. It's really difficult, I think, for people today to understand the immensity of the change in views around the power of the German army and the leadership of Adolf Hitler that happened with the defeat of France and the other countries in Western Mm. Europe that they invaded in the spring and early summer of 1940. This was a war that very few people thought they would win, a war that a number of Hitler's generals believed they weren't going to win. And so there's this paradox, which is that Hitler is now looked on as a crazy person for wanting to invade the Soviet Union, and actually... A sensible person for organising this epic victory over the French in nine, and the other countries in 1940. And yet at the time, if you were a, a general, it was very likely you would have looked at it the other way around. You would have looked at that as a crazy action. But it turned out well for a whole number of fascinating reasons. But it turned out much better than a lot of them, I think, thought. Compared to invading the Soviet Union, which a lot of, of the military minds involved believed given the combination of the victory over France and the fact that the Red Army had performed very badly in a war against Finland in end of 1939, beginning of 1940, plus an extraordinary sense of racial superiority that the Germans believed, thanks to their whole system of war, racist beliefs, but they believed that they were going to fight a deeply inferior people, a, a subhuman people, which was one of the reasons, I'm sure we'll come on to, one of the reasons that Hitler posited this war as a different kind of war, a war of extermination against a subhuman people. And so ideologically, all of that makes sense. And we've kind of started talking about what was going on at the time and kind of more short term reasons why Hitler might have been in the position in 1941 to think that this was a good time to invade the Soviet Union because of that French victory. Were there any other short-term reasons why in June 1941 that was when the invasion happened? Yes. One of the problems, again, the Nazis faced was relying on Stalin. Stalin's government was providing raw materials. 
to the Germans. But of course, they could turn that tap off any time they liked. And Hitler, as he saw it, was in a difficult position in, in 1940, despite this massive victory. The problem he faced was Britain had not made peace. He thought Britain would make peace. There was a real view in the summer of 1940 that the sensible thing to do, and, in, and many people forget today, but, that, but actually there were quite a number of influential people in Britain who in the summer of 1940 thought the sensible thing to do would be to make peace. It's the moment at which we see Churchill absolutely proving his worth as one of the most important leaders of, of recent times in that he decided he swung the cabinet around to ensure that we were not going to in any way investigate some kind of peace with Hitler in the late spring and summer of 1940. But if you were sitting in Hitler's position, that's something that you would have thought would be a logical thing to do. But it didn't happen. So therefore, Hitler is still unsure about what to do. And though he put plans in place to think he might invade Britain, it doesn't seem to me that that was ever his number one priority. For lots of reasons, the invasion of the Soviet Union was ideologically, practically, much more of a positive option for them than invading Britain. Not to say that sacrifice of the pilots in the Battle of Britain in any way should be underrated, or to say Britain holding out wasn't so important. All that's true. But nonetheless, whilst there was a possibility of an invasion of Britain, I think if you look at the material, you have to say that, and talk to, as I have talked to people who were involved in the military at that time, the German military at that time, you have to see how, not least because Germany was a, had just proved it had this massive, powerful army, whereas the British fleet was stronger than, much stronger than the German fleet, that actually a land invasion of the Soviet Union became the preferable option. And Hitler tried to sell this to his generals with a series of practical statements. And one of them was, he said, well, the thing is, we can defeat Britain, if you like, by the back door, because we defeat Britain by defeating Stalin. Because even though Stalin is not allied to the British at all, he might turn at one stage and turn to them. And so therefore, Stalin is Britain's great hope. So if we defeat Stalin it means that Britain will finally have to capitulate. Now, actually, that again, it seems to me, was a nonsensical reading of the situation. And he was, he was saying that in order to cloak, actually, his huge ideologically driven desire to invade the Soviet Union. He cloaked it with that kind of, that kind of logic or pseudo-logic, because actually Britain's best hope wasn't Stalin and the Soviet Union for one moment. Britain's great hope was America and Franklin Roosevelt. But nonetheless, this is how Hitler, in the short term, tried to ensure that his generals were on side with this. And so since Hitler had this ideological thirst to go to war with the Soviet Union, and obviously he had, they had signed the Nazi-Soviet Pact in 1939, however, it sounds, sounds like that wasn't ever going to be you know, a, a really long-lasting peace treaty. Why wasn't Stalin then better prepared to have Hitler launch this invasion? I think that's a really fascinating question because there's sources that show that Stalin was appalled at the German victory in 1940 over France. Absolutely appalled. I mean, he was uh, walking around his office saying, why couldn't the French have put up a better fight? I mean, because his strategy was, seems to me, it's pretty clear, which was that let the Western capitalist countries and the 
German fascists fight each other out and bleed each other dry, whilst uh, I stay on the sidelines and can carry on rearming, get more powerful, and they're the ones slugging it out. Of course, that's, that falls apart once France is defeated. So he, he, I think he does know that long-term, even medium-term, he knows that it's extremely likely that Hitler's going to invade. You know, the army is making preparations, but he doesn't wholeheartedly go along with that. And the reason he doesn't wholeheartedly go along with that, I think, is two reasons. One is he's got a view that he doesn't want to provoke the Germans because he's frightened that if they actually start absolute full mobilization, especially along the border, then the Germans will say, ah, we, this is a preempt, we need to invade as a preemptive action because you're actually provoking us. Because Stalin knows, I mean, he's not a fool. He knows that the Germans, you can't organize what is the, the largest land invasion in the history of the world. You can't organize that without anyone spotting that you've got large amounts of troops approaching the, the border. So Stalin knows there are big troop movements there in early summer of 1941. But he thinks to himself, well, maybe they're here training safely away from British bombers so that they're going to go off and invade Britain later. Or maybe they're here to threaten me. They're actually going to say, right, we want you to alter the deliveries of raw materials. And they're going to come to me with a a proposal as to what I should do. And then we'll be able to see what can happen then. I don't think he thinks for a second there'll be a, a surprise attack out of nowhere, even though a lot of the intelligence is saying that. So he's got that in his mind. But then also there's another psychological factor, I think, which is it's such a horrible idea that this is going to happen at that stage that part of him just simply refuses to believe it. Was it also because it would be such a massive undertaking for Hitler and his army that it seems Stalin might have questioned why would they do that now? Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a two-front war. And the whole idea of Germany going into the Nazi-Soviet pact was precisely to prevent the kind of two-front war that they'd had to face in the First World War when they were fighting the Russians in the east and the, and the British and the French in the west. So Britain is not defeated. So therefore, as long as Britain's not defeated and you're, and you're sitting there as Stalin, you're thinking, well, why, why would they actually do this? So given these reasons that Stalin wasn't as prepared as he could have been, did that mean that the war go initially very badly for him? Very much so. Very much so. I mean, so badly that I think it pretty much must be the quickest advance in history in the early days of the of the war. The war begins on Sunday, June the 22nd, 1941, and within little more than a week, Minsk, which is the capital of Belarus, the republic within the Soviet Union, now a separate country, but then a republic within the Soviet Union, has fallen. And the troops are, are quite a long way German troops are an awful, an awfully long way towards uh, Smolensk and then to Moscow. So they are in terrible, they are in big, big trouble. And there is lots of reasons why they're in, in big trouble. One, of course, is that Stalin had essentially destroyed the initiative of many of the officers in the Soviet Union by the purges he'd operated in the 1930s. Hitler has made sure to keep a core of talented generals even though many of them were not ardent Nazis. Stalin has been persecuting any with the merest levels of suspicion, almost certainly large numbers of innocent people, many in the armed forces and the senior ranks of the armed forces in the 1930s. So if you were a, 
a general operating on the front line when the Germans come in, I mean, one of the things you're very, very careful not to do is to act very much on your own initiative because without clearance from higher up, you're terrified that you'll be held responsible for any defeat. And this war, as Hitler was initially invading, it was a war of an extermination, wasn't it, from the very beginning? Yeah, I mean, he calls it a war of annihilation. So I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that uh, Himmler, Himmler, the head of the SS at his castle at Wevelsberg just before the war was launched, said to his SS uh, leadership colleagues that they expected 30 million people, 30 million people to die in order for them to be able to create the empire they wanted in the territory of the Soviet Union. So this is the kind of thing you're talking about. There are meetings before the war starts, deliberate plans to starve millions of Soviet citizens. There's the infamous Commissar Order, whereby any political officer within the Red Army is to be taken away immediately and shot. There's also Einsatzgruppen troops who are following in behind, immediately behind the army as they advance into the Soviet Union. And they are, from the very beginning, killing selected Jews, Jews thought to be, quote, in the service of the party or state. But that's the bare minimum of Jews that they're supposed to be killing because they're also told to organise pogroms to get to focus the locals on rising up against the Jews. Because for, for Hitler, with his grotesque, horrendous anti-Semitism, there's an absolute belief that they're invading a land that is, in, as he sees it, is, is infested with Judaism and that the Jews are an incredibly dangerous enemy that he's going to eliminate there and that they are particularly going to focus on targeting the Jews there, which means that you're going to see some absolutely horrendous crimes taking place there, shootings and, and murders of Jews as a consequence of this movement into the Soviet Union. And so initially, obviously, it wasn't going, wasn't going well for Stalin. How was he coping with all of it? Well, there was a, there's, there's been a lot of academic examination as to whether Stalin actually had a kind of breakdown, more or less, in the first week or so. When you look at the evidence, I think the consensus probably is now to say that he didn't actually crack up. He was not in a good place, as they say. And he was, I think, frightened that his colleagues were going to replace him. But in the end, it was very, very hard for them to get together to plot against him because they'd all been clearly... They all knew how traumatic it would be for them if they were ever caught speaking out against him. And who could you trust? Plus, Stalin was the central figure of Soviet propaganda. So if he'd been removed, who was going to replace him? And how could they say he'd been removed? So there were all sorts of reasons why I think Stalin's paranoia about whether he was going to be replaced was actually misplaced. But nonetheless, I think he was extremely anxious and concerned. So was his his number one anxiety initially was that he would be ousted from power rather than that the Nazis would devastate his... Yeah, I, well, I think he's, he, he, he probably linked the two very, very closely together. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's by this stage, he's seeing himself as this central figure who, if he goes, the Soviet Union goes perhaps. But certainly, I think Stalin is focusing very, very much on his own position. And he's also got another huge practical huge practical problem that contributes massively to the terrible situation that the Red Army finds itself in in the summer and autumn of 1941, which is that 
Unlike Hitler, at this stage at any rate, unlike Hitler, Stalin's a micromanager. Stalin is, is trying to run the war from his office. And you see that catastrophic consequences of that, not just through the summer of 1941, but crucially at the Battle of Kiev in September 1941, when the troops are concerned about pulling back because the Germans are fighting these enormous wars of encirclement. This is one of the reasons that they're able to capture millions of Red Army soldiers. And what they do is they obviously go go behind, round the edges of the Soviet units, go behind them and encircle them in these vast, vast, what they call in German cauldron battles. They're trapped in this cauldron and then they move in on them. And that was clearly about to happen in Kiev to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Red Army troops. And Stalin did not give them permission to pull back until too late. There are a number of reasons why the Battle of Kiev was a catastrophe for the Red Army, but necessary precondition of it happening is Stalin. No question about that. It's an absolute catastrophe. So by the end of 1941, it obviously it's, it's not looking good for Stalin. It looks like Hitler might even win the war. What's then changed? Why hadn't he won by the end of 1941? And what could Stalin, or what did Stalin do to, to change it around? For me, there's two crucial months. One is at the end, December, and then the other one is October 1941. If you think about October 1941, amazing moment in the history of the world because the Germans have just won, as I say, this gigantic battle at Kiev, and they follow that up with two more huge victories at Vyazma and Bryansk on the way to Moscow, and they're at the gates of Moscow. So the question is, what's Stalin going to do? He's in Moscow. And the Soviet government begins to evacuate. Ministries begin to move much, much further east into safety. And it's all encapsulated for me on October the 16th, 1941, because by that date, there's panic in Moscow. There's looting, there's there's a terrible situation. And I met a man called Nikolai Pomeryov, who was Stalin's telegraphist. And he revealed how he'd been told to dismantle equipment in the Kremlin and take it on board Stalin's armoured train, which was waiting at a station in Moscow on the evening of October the 16th, 1941, and they're waiting for Stalin to come down. And they think Stalin's going to come on board and they're all going to evacuate. Stalin decides not to come. And I think that is a crucial turning point in the history of the 20th century because he decides to stay in Moscow. And he stays in Moscow, he imposes a state of siege, they hold out in October, and then by the 5th of December they're able to organise a counterattack that catches the Germans because the Germans have reached the absolute limit of what they were capable of in 1941. They hadn't famously, infamously been supplied with adequate winter clothes. Hitler had been so confident, the generals had been confident that they would win this war before the winter came. So the Germans are at this absolute, it's like a piece of elastic, they've just reached as far as they can get. And then there's a counterattack and the Red Army turn on them. So that December is a crucial month too. I think there are two reasons, both related to Stalin, that if they'd been different, I think Hitler would have had a very good chance, despite all of the all of the uh, resource issues involved in that war. But I think he would have had, they would have had a very good chance of turning this around. And both of these reasons it didn't happen relate to nothing the Germans did, but relate to things Stalin himself did as an individual. And the first is he didn't get on that train. I think if he had got on that train, Moscow could have fallen. And 
Why do I think that? Because I've met a number of Muscovites who talk about how they saw Stalin in those days and the position he held as this kind of firm father figure who was a figure of protectiveness almost. I mean, it's an, it's an act of defeat to leave. It's, it is an act of, it's, it's an act of saving yourself. Yeah. And I think you put up with a lot of things from a, a horrible firm father as long as he protects you. And once the father figure runs, I think things are very, very different. And I remember meeting uh, an officer in the Soviet secret police who talked about putting down with great brutality the panic in Moscow and asking him what would have happened if Stalin had, had gone. And he, he couldn't imagine that Stalin would possibly go. Stalin, of course, he couldn't go. He, he knew nothing of the, those moments on October the 16th. But it was clear to me that he took Stalin's firmness mm. of resolve as a reason. So I think that's the first reason why they were able to, to hold out. And it relates to that decision he took on that one day. But was he still this kind of micromanager wanting to run the war from his office? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And, that, and that's the second reason. Okay. That's the exactly, you're exactly right. That's the second reason why I think he still could have lost this war. Because he's still trying to be the great amateur general. And he's still messing it up. You see that most obviously at the Battle of Kharkov in the spring of 1942. The, the Red Army troops advance and then they advance straight into a German planned counterattack and they get a massive encircled and once again enormous numbers of troops are taken. And so I think that if Stalin had carried on like that, I think it's very hard to see how they could have won that war. By that stage, of course, America's in the war and that, that is a huge, huge turnaround. But nonetheless, Stalin is still acting as a micromanager. He doesn't change that until later in the year. And you see that with what's called Operation Uranus, which is the relief of Stalingrad towards the end of 1942, beginning of 1943. And that he is beginning to trust his generals more, certainly Zhukov. Not that he ever becomes this kind of hands-off manager, never. But nonetheless, I think he understands by that point that if he doesn't give more trust to his key military leaders, particularly Zhukov, really, if he doesn't give more trust to them, they are going to be in a parlour situation. And he starts to do that. So that's the second, that's the second decision that Stalin takes that I think means that Hitler was not going to win this war. And I think we can, yeah, all count ourselves lucky that, that Hitler didn't win this war. Thank you for sharing this yes, with us. You're absolutely right. Thanks a lot. <laughs>